The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Klein. And then we have our technical support, your Araya Young. We have a very special guest tonight, one of our contributors, one of our longer tenured contributors, Ryan Callahan. We're here to talk about Sixers and basketball today. And Ryan has graciously came on, and we're gonna we're glad to have him on. Well overdue, so we're gonna go ahead and jump right into it. And I believe, uh, Chris, you have our first subject of tonight. So go ahead, take it away. Yeah. So we're gonna start off with some um, broader NBA stuff, as has been the the case the past few weeks. Um, and we're gonna talk about, of course, the NBA's plan to return in Orlando, and more specifically, the situation regarding the coronavirus. The NBA brought players back into their team markets this week um, in preparation for the eventual trip down to Orlando, and that meant um, mass testing for everyone involved. And according to Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, 16 NBA players out of just over 300 total tested positive for the virus. Obviously, the plan is for them to go into quarantine and and ideally be healthy by by the time teams travel down. But I'll I'll let Ryan take the floor here first. Ryan, what were your thoughts on that news? And does it change your opinion on on the NBA's plan at all? Um, Well, when I first got the news, um, well, it was like 16 out of 300 or so um, total tests. I thought that was um, a pretty low number. I thought that was kind of encouraging for the way things are going. Um, because, you know, more players are going to be able to start practicing and working out with the teams without any um, quarantine um, issues because they don't have the virus. But at the same time, it does kind of put into perspective a little more this whole entire situation. And I could see more and more players kind of being more cautious about the plan to return and maybe – um, opting to not go into the bubble like um, Avery Bradley's doing, and I think Trevor Rees is also doing. So that's where I'm at with it right now. I think that's a fair point. And to piggyback off of that, I think out of all the players that aren't coming, which I believe is Davis Bertans, and that's because he doesn't want to get injured right before a major contract, Trevor Rees because of custody uh, agreement with his wife about having his son that full month. I think Avery Bradley's the only one that's actually voiced anything relating to the coronavirus because of his son's uh, breathing conditions. So I think that's encouraging. Uh, I also think the, we've, I'm sure you guys are on Instagram uh, and you guys see these guys doing pickup games. So I think considering that it's only 5%, uh, I think they said only five or 6% of players, which is not a bad number in my opinion. I think that's relatively good number um i think that's a positive sign there and then the other thing is i think it's better for them to have these positive tests now so that these players can self-quarantine and then once the bubble's established you know hopefully nobody breaks the protocols and leaves you know the campus or anything but i think it's good now so that they get it i think they were almost expecting this and so that they can get it out of the way now yeah i i think from from just reading different reporters around the league who who have sources inside it, it did seem like this was kind of expected like they knew guys were going to turn up positive that's why they're bringing them in as early as they are 
And, and with regard to the, the season or optimism level um, for, for the season starting, we're going to get into that next. I think for me personally, I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to go full steam ahead. My concern lies more with if they're going to be able to finish the season because right now the the whole bubble concept that the league has pitched doesn't seem nearly as secure as it once did. I believe Adam Silver said teams or players are going to be allowed to leave freely as they want. So so I think there's a real chance that this, this gets inside the bubble and spreads. And I think that's where the real concern is going to be. Like, I don't think there's going to be anything from between now and July um, or, or July 30th when this thing starts up again that, that's going to prevent it from going on. But, um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think the league's maybe reevaluating things right now? How do you see it? Um, yeah, I think with each passing day, I, I kind of get more and more pessimistic about the restart. Because like you said, there, the chances that coronavirus doesn't make its way into the bubble, I think are pretty low, especially with the surging cases in Florida. And it, a lot of it depends on how strictly players adhere to the, uh, the bubble rules inside all the um, hotels and everything. Um, and I, I could feasibly see a possibility where the NBA has to once again pause the season because too many players are diagnosed with the coronavirus or some teams may have to bow out if, you know, it spreads throughout their whole locker room and none of their players can play. So I, I think with each, with each passing day, it's getting more and more kind of questionable, the whole restart plan. I'm actually more optimistic about it personally. I don't, I'm, I mean, I, I am concerned about the rising numbers in Florida. And obviously I think there's a concern about the uh, Disney employees not being in the bubble, you know, not having, they can go off campus, but at the same time, I think I would think most of these NBA players, if not all of them are, you know, they're going to abide by this because they want to be there. And if they don't want to be there, they'll leave. I think, and I, I honestly don't think this is going to be – I don't think those three players are going to be the last ones that are going to exit. I think they're, we're going to see more players, you know, eventually drop out too for various reasons. So, But at the same time, overall, I think it's happening. I think I just saw recently that the Players Association have come together – Players Union has come together, and I think they're in unison now about continuing the season. So I think we're all set there. I, I think the ideal here – the ideal scenario is the 16 guys who have it, you know, quarantine for two weeks, they test negative. They, everyone else on these teams is going to probably, I assume quarantine outside of, you know, um, practices and training camp. So I think the ideal is that everyone goes into the bubble healthy and they just do their best to, to maintain those social distancing measures and whatnot. But I do think as, as one of you mentioned earlier, um, these players have, you know, taken this thing, some players have taken this more seriously than others. There have been players out doing pickup games, you know, going around town. So I, I do think it's fair to question how seriously some guys um, are, are going to take this in um, once they're there. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to start. I just don't know if it's going to finish because Florida's pretty much the new, like, global epicenter of this disease. Um, so it, it's a big problem. They're basically going into the hot spot right now worldwide for this disease and as we know it spreads very quickly easily transmissible um and, and and basketball is a contact sport whether you like it or not so it's just i do i do have my doubts i think those are fair but i i want to go on and move the subject along to our next subject and we're talking about the sixers actually did a minor transaction during this transaction period and they signed ryan broke off to a two-way contract. So, uh, Ryan, let me ask you: do you what do you what type of role do you see him having, and what is like what do you think is realistic for his uh, minutes off the bench during this return to play? Yeah, I thought the the, the Brokaw signing was really interesting. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere. I I honestly had hardly heard of him before we signed him the other day. But looking more and more into it, he fits a lot of holes that we have. Like he shoots. 40% from three, but you know, that the two-way contract is not a secure place on the roster. He's only played 59 career games. I doubt he's played any playoff games because he's been with Dallas the past two years. 
I could I could easily see him not playing much at all during definitely during the playoffs. But I think these eight games plus the the training camp before the eight regular season games, he's going to have to prove himself to prove that he can hang with everybody else and provide the shooting that we so desperately need. So um, it's really up to him to make the most out of this opportunity and kind of carve his way into the rotation. Yeah. And, and and correct me guys if I'm wrong. My I think my understanding of it is that the two way contracts will be able to travel to Orlando, but they won't be active players um on, on the rosters for either the regular season or, or the playoffs, or at least for the playoffs. So my my on this is just that he's essentially a backup plan if someone gets hurt. Um someone they can bring in with more NBA experience than Mariel Shayok. Um, they don't really have anyone else who's been on the roster this year who's worth bringing on. Trey Burke signed with Dallas, so he's off the table. So he's, you know, he's a 30-year-old. He's played a couple seasons in the NBA now. As you mentioned, Ryan, he's he's a knockdown shooter, even if he's not much else, which is something the Sixers value. But I, I don't see him getting really any minutes unless unless there's a major injury that requires someone to uh, to you know either set out the rest of the season or leave the bubble. Well. Just to backtrack there for a little bit. So from I, I listened to the Sixers Wire podcast from The Athletic with Derek Bogner and Rich Hoffman. And my understanding is that he will be, at least for the regular season, if not playoffs, they could tap him to play. So I don't know okay. if he's going to be, like, active, like, on the bench or if he's they're going to have to, like, sit somebody else to play him. But um, my understanding is based off of what they they said in their podcast, and I haven't had a chance to scout, so this is purely just speculation based off of what they're saying. But he's not he he's not like JJ or not even really like Porcon. He's really just a plant guy in the corner on the perimeter and just knock down threes. He doesn't really do anything off the dribble, anything off of uh, pick and rolls. Uh, dribble handoffs, you know, apparently he's very limited in his three-point shooting. He barely pulls up in transition. So it's he's he's more or less just a cement three-point shooter, which is fine. Like you guys said, I don't – and like Rich and Derek said, if we have to go to him, I think we're in trouble, um, obviously, because I, I would think that players like Forkon and – I mean, honestly, personally, I would trust Mario more than I would trust him just because I think Mario can bring more to the table in terms of two-way, you know, being able to defend as well as being able to score. So, and more of a diverse scorer at that. So, but I understand the signing in terms of NBA experience and three-point shooting. Uh, Unless they decide to rest people during the the regular season games, which I'm sure we'll get to later in this podcast, I don't really see him having a major role. You know, those moves that don't really mean too much in the grand schemes, but the idea behind the moves is a smart move. I think that's one of these things that we can kind of applaud Elton for that. Personally, I was hoping that a player like Price Kumaji would fill that two-way gap, maybe not during this season, but during the offseason. So we'll see. Maybe Mario gets off his two-way contract. But my point still stands. I think overall, um, it's not a bad move. It's not a bad move, and he feels a need, like you guys said. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think to your point about Mariel, um, I, I do think we should credit Brokoff. He, he's 30. He's had a pretty successful career overseas. So so he's not someone who, who these teams haven't seen before. He, he has a pretty solid body of work under his belt, even if it's not all in the NBA. So I, I do think from that perspective, he's probably someone Philly would be more comfortable going to if they did need someone for minutes. But he's not better than any of the 15 guys on regular deals right now. So, again, if there's an injury, I really just don't see him um, getting any minutes. So, like you said, this is a nice move on the margins. It makes sense as a backup to the backup plan, essentially. But um, it's nothing more than that. So, I think, Ryan, you have this next subject. Yeah, so it's going to be the ever-polarizing topic of Ben Simmons. You know, he got hurt about – eight game he missed the final eight games of the regular season before his pause with a back injury um after it seems like he rushed back from an injury um he he seems like he's gearing up for these for this uh this restart um you see him on instagram doing between the league between the legs dunks hanging out with lebron running games with lebron and other players um, and it seems like he may be willing to shoot a little more when the season starts. So 
what do you guys think is how important he will be for us, um, not only in the restart, but for these playoffs? Do um, you kind of buy that he's not 100% like Brett Brown saying? Um, what do you think that where he stands right now? Yeah, I I think to your point about Brett Brown's comments, Ryan, I, I, I buy them. I think there's a reason the Sixers obviously never came out and said explicitly that he was 100%. We heard from guys like Elton, from Ben himself, that he was getting better. But at no point were they like, he's ready to go, like, full speed. So so I do think that was purposeful. I, I do think they're going to bring him along slowly. And uh, even just going back to the injury itself, the way Brett described it, sounded like it was a very painful experience for Ben. And back injuries are always really tricky to get over. And, and for someone like Ben, who relies so much on his physicality, being a downhill athlete, you know, his back feeling 100% is going to be really important. So I think they will bring him along slowly. I think they should. I think they have to uh, just because uh, you, you just don't want to push him too hard, especially in these eight seeding games that really don't matter a ton in terms of, you know, the Sixers title chances, um, as we've talked about on previous episodes. Um, with regard to his jump shot, you know, I, I doubt it. I, I just, until he does it, I'm probably not going to have that much confidence in him doing it no matter what he says to, you know, Jackie McMullen or whatever his agents put out. It's just until he actually does it in a game, it shows that he can get over that mental hurdle himself. I don't buy it, but we'll see. I'll, you know, Lucas, you can take it away. We kind of agree mostly on those same points. I do want to point out that I was listening to a podcast, uh, Brian Woodenhorse uh, Hoops Collective podcast, I believe it was, and Jackie McMullen, you know how she's a Ben Simmons fan, did the interview with Simmons. She said that he was working with, I forget the name of the trainer, but it was, Chris, do you remember the name of the trainer that he was with this last summer? Chris um, Johnson. Yeah, Chris Johnson. So Chris Johnson, he, she said talking with him and talking with Ben, she believes that he's going to attempt and make a three-pointer during the postseason or during this bubble. She didn't say postseason, but she said in this bubble situation. So it might be during the scrimmage. It might be during – uh, regular season game it might be during playoffs my gut feeling if it's going to happen it's going to happen during these scrimmages where they don't mean anything and we might not even see because they may or may not be televised I don't know what where that's at at this point in terms of his health honestly I wouldn't play him or Embiid in in the one back-to-back that uh that they have but I think obviously and it depends on who your starting five is but I think you know, we, me and Chris both believe that it's Shake, Shake's going to, especially in the first round, it's going to be Shake starting over Al Horford. And if that's the case, you want to get Shake and Ben on the court as much as possible during these eight games and during those scrimmages. So while I think they're going to bring him along slowly, um, I'm thinking, I would say like 20, half a game probably for Ben. I, I think that's, that's probably a decent way to bring him along slowly. Or, But at the same time, I think, we're going to see a decent amount of him because I think they want to see what that starting five can do with Shake Milk. So that's my thoughts on it. I, I'm going to be honest. When I read that, uh, I, I'm kind of a I lean optimistic, definitely, and I always get fooled by players who say they're going to start taking more jump shots. Like I thought Markel Fultz was going to come back and be a 40% three-point shooter. I thought Ben was going to shoot more this season than he has. Again, I'm, I believe that I think Ben – will kind of start to shoot it won't be with volume of course but I mean this is the perfect storm for him to do it there's nobody in the stands um fans I think are kind of taking the rest of the season with a grain of salt um you know there's debate over whether or not this year's champion will have kind of an asterisk next to their ring um I think this is just a place for Ben to kind of really just to start to evolve more as a player um in regards to his injury, yeah, they definitely should bring him along slowly. Um, like Chris said, back injuries are always super, super tricky and super – you really have to take those carefully. Um, they didn't do that before, and he ended up in, um, with a nerve impingement, I believe. So I, I wouldn't be – I think they they really should kind of just walk him along, maybe sit him for a couple of games, maybe for that back-to-back, like Lucas said. I think that's a good point, Ryan. Um, one one point I want to bring up here is Ben talked 
during the preseason about taking more threes, about being more confident in his jumper. So this isn't necessarily a new phenomenon. We saw him hit one in the preseason, and then he hit one against the Knicks early on in the season. Um, and obviously I'm not inside his head. I don't know his exact thought process, but it kind of feels like he just went like, all right, I did it. I'm done. They'll stop talking for a while because he really hasn't tried much of it, like any at all since then. So I, I think there's a real chance that he comes back, you know, maybe takes one or two in the first couple of games and then stops again, says, all right, I did it again. I can focus on what I'm good at. And and that Jackie McMullen article that we've referenced multiple times here was went really in depth on on Ben's psychological battle here on his need for accountability and, and just kind of his struggles with getting over the hurdle of you know with pressure from fans and from people around him. Uh, so so this is something that he's going to have to to really fight um, with himself internally to to get over. But um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just generally pessimistic with Ben until until I see it because it's just we've been talking about it for two years now and it still hasn't happened. <laughs> that's I think that's fair and you know Ben, it's you know we talk about Ben's personal battles and he's one of the more quiet superstars in the NBA and surprisingly enough, it's not him or the mostly boisterous Joel B, but it's actually Tobias Harris that has made the most recent noise. And I want to transition from Ben to Tobias now because Tobias Harris was recently on first take. I love first take. I love Stephen A. Smith. I love, I love you know, him and Max Kellerman are a great duo. So they had Tobias on and during the interview, he Tobias admitted that the hit Sixers had terrible chemistry. Well, it had bad chemistry. They did not have good chemistry. And so my question to you guys is, is that a big deal or not? And what do you guys feel like his leadership role can be on this team forward? To go off of the chemistry thing, I don't think that was um, a huge secret. You remember Al Horford, is he's like the definition of, prof- of a professional. Um, doesn't let the media get too far. Doesn't slip too much to the media about what's going on with the team. But he even alluded to some locker room issues earlier this season. Tobias mentioned, too, after the chemistry thing, they were battling injuries, so they were never really able to kind of improve on their on-court chemistry. Off the court, who knows if that's how good that is, if that's improved at all. But I I love seeing Tobias come out there on national TV on first take uh, in front of Stephen A. and Max, who are always scrutinizing players and for their words and what they say. Um, taking accountability, like stepping up, saying, like, yeah, this is what happened. We've been working on it. Um, he didn't try and embellish on anything, didn't try to hide anything. He's kind of been that that vocal leader that I think we've kind of been missing because Ben, he's very kind of a stoic guy, quiet guy. Um, Joel, I love him, but I, I wish he would take a little more leadership role. But on the court, off the court, Tobias has really grown into that leader that we needed. And I, I really love seeing him step out to talk about what the team's going on and also talk about um, social issues. Like you, you saw him protesting the streets of Philly, talking about uh, after the, the death of George Floyd. And he wrote that article in the Players' Tribune, which I thought was very compelling and very powerful. Um, so, yeah, he's really done a great job of being that voice that um, that leader that we don't, that we needed um, both on the court and off it. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a ton of good points there, Ryan. Um, like you said, I don't think this chemistry issue is, is something new. The Sixers have been kind of hinting at it or talking about it all season. I, I don't think this was meant to, to mean anything about like their relationship off the court. I don't think this means there's like infighting in the locker room or anything like that. And I think it's just pretty clear that on the court, they don't quite know how to how to work together yet. Um, that, that's been readily apparent the whole season. That part of that's on the front office for just not putting a good team together, uh, fit wise, and part of that's on them. You know, a lot of new pieces joined the unit this year. Harris was only here for half a season last year. Josh was new. Al was new. Um, Furkan wasn't really getting minutes before the season. So there are just a lot of moving pieces for, for Brett Brown and everyone to figure out. And like you said, it, it is, there's no secret that, that this has been an issue all season. Kudos to Tobias for being honest about it and for addressing it. 
not not trying to hide anything. I, I, I do think, like you said, his leadership role is something that has been vastly underrated. I think he deserves a ton of credit for being as vocal as he has been and for kind of bringing that life to the locker room and as well as off the court. He's easily been the most vocal sixer with these protests and with the social justice movement, which has been a really, really nice thing to see. I think he's made a lot of new fans through that just because, you know, his reputation hasn't always been great as a player here, but, but I do think a lot of guys have kind of grown to respect him more just because of the issues that he's standing up for and, and how vocal he's being. So I do think he deserves major props in that category. Yeah, just kudos to him. Yeah, I think you guys bring up a lot of great points. And to I, I think it's all I think most of the issues in terms of chemistry is probably is is clearly on the court. We've said this in the past, Al Horford is not a great fit for Ben and Joel, and Ben and Joel aren't a great fit for Al. I think that's probably one of the biggest chemistry issues there. But it's more than just that, because I think, you know, even going to Tobias and Josh Richardson. They've had to take on a new. They've had to take on new roles this season, where Tobias has kind of had to take on the half court cre- offensive, you know, creator. And I think that's something Tobias has has really had to do too much on a regular basis in his career up to this point. So I think that's a new role for him. And then you take Josh Richardson, while he's played point guard in the past for like the Miami Heat. I don't think that he had to rely on him solely as like the sole playmaker in the half court where the Sixers basically have to because Ben can't do anything in the half court because everybody plays off of him. So I think those are two things that we have to consider. I I want us and you know we 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 you guys have already talked on the social justice issues point. I can't really add any more to that beyond the fact that I think it says a lot about Tobias's character as an individual human being. And it makes me happy that there's somebody in the Sixers organization, and among the, especially among the players, that have taken such a strong uh, role in the Philadelphia community. That being said, I want to see what happens if Tobias can take that leadership role, kind of what how like take lead both Ben and Joel, like kind of what Jimmy did last season, leader like clear cut leader that he can bring those two stars in and. And just kind of teach them, you know, be like, okay, this is what we're doing, guys. This is how we're doing it. Because I haven't really seen that up to this point from Tobias, but I think he has it in him. And while he doesn't have the mean streak that Jimmy does, I think he can still be a strong leader for Joel and Ben. Because even though he's only, what, 26, 27, he's still much more experienced than either one of those guys are. And he's been through a lot more. And I think if he can rally those two and get those two, you know, playing in a way that similar to what Butler did last season, I think that would go a long way. I think I really hope that um, hopefully maybe probably shake Milton is going to supplant Al Horford in the starting lineup, which would allow Tobias to move to his natural position as power forward. I really hope that in that role, he can um, perform better than he has this season. Not to say he's done poorly this season. He's, averaging 19 points a game, shooting 36% from three, which is basically his career averages across the board, um, even while he was playing out of position. But hopefully when he's in his natural four position, he'll be able to really just take another step, um, take more of a a role in the half court, like um, Lucas was saying, because Ben can't. Um, Maybe he'll be able to showcase some more of his talents and the pick and roll and everything else. Yeah, I think maybe the core issue with how the front office went about building this roster was making it so that Tobias was like the singular guy who could create at a high level in the half court. Um, obviously, Josh can a little, but but that's not really his strong suit. He's not a super crafty shot maker uh, by any stretch. And a lot of that weight went to Tobias, and he's just really not built for that role, especially at small forward where he's not the quickest guy on the floor. Um, so both adding another guy who can create a little bit and shake to the starting five and giving Tobias more minutes at the four where he's going to have more matchup advantages, I think that's huge. And, and I think that just is to your point, Lucas, I think that's going to go a long way in determining how successful Philly is um, down the stretch here because, you know, if we're going to talk about chemistry issues, 
making things fit, that, that's a big issue. It's just putting Tobias in, in, in an area where he can comfortably do what he does best without having too much pressure on him to create, to take bad shots, and to do things that really aren't in his skill set. And, and can I just add that I think one thing that Brett Brown has failed to do with Tobias is utilize him as a role man in the pick and roll because mm. I remember him playing in Orlando, Detroit, L.A. He was dangerous as a role. Because he could finish at the rim. Yeah. And I think that's if you can slide him back to the floor and have a strong pick-and-roll player like Shake Milne is shown in short flashes that he can be, I think that will go a long way. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember when we traded for him, um, some graphics circulated on online about the percentiles he was in, um, in you know, in pick-and-rolls, as the roll man, as the pick man. Um, as the ball handler, as a spot-up three-point shooter, as a pull-up. And he was in the high percentiles in the pick-and-roll, and he just hasn't had the opportunity to really do it that much in Philly. Um, so I hope kind of a something that happens when Al Horford comes off the bench that we um, rely on post-ups a little less and go more towards um, pick-and-rolls, especially for the playoffs, which are where those are going to be really useful. Yeah, and obviously Jimmy's not here anymore, and part of the reason the Sixers had so much success late last season in the postseason with the pick and roll was because of Jimmy. But I do think to that point, there's a reason the Sixers were so much more competitive once they started running more pick and rolls last year is because Ben's really effective off-ball when he's in that role. Tobias is as well. So I, I think that's just generally part of the game plan that Brett should should lean on more often. Um, you know, it's so important with so many teams. It's such a big part of the modern NBA. And for whatever reason, Brown just has shied away for it, from it for, for most of his career. And I think that's maybe one of his biggest weaknesses. So I, I think that's a really good, good point. My, my last point to add on to that is that we, the Sixers haven't ran it barely at all to the point where we don't even know how good Joel B can be at the pick and roll. We, we oh. Most of the time, we see Joel posting up or in the high post. I was just saying the re- same thing. Like, I don't really remember seeing Joel doing too many pick and rolls even when they were running it. They were mainly running it through Ben or Tobias with Jimmy last year. So that's, uh, you know, maybe that's one area that Joel's not strong in. I, I know he's good in the pick and pop, but I don't know about the pick and roll. So that's something that I think – would be a fun experiment. And I honestly, like you said, Chris, it's a weakness of, of Browns that it, it astonishes me that he hasn't really embraced it yet. Cause that was part of that issue during, uh, do you guys remember the, uh, the not scuffle? What a, what's the reward I'm looking for, for the disagreement that Jimmy Butler had in the film room oh, yeah. in Portland. That yeah. it was actually, it was uh, cause I listened to his uh, JJ Reddick's podcast when Jimmy was on there. And Jimmy said it was because, he wanted. He was going to speak up for T.J. McConnell because T.J. McConnell wanted to run more pick and rolls, but didn't have the confidence to say it to Brown. Yeah, and I think the issue obviously is just that Joel and Ben are such weird fits together. They they take up so much space in the paint that it's a bit difficult to run a traditional offense with both of them on the floor. Um, I do think Al Horford has made those issues significantly worse this season and having him out of the starting lineup and replacing him with someone like Shake who can run the pick and roll, who can create a little off the dribble is going to help open that up a bit. But So, yeah, hopefully that's something Brett leans into more now that Al's minutes are going to presumably go down. But but we'll see. It's another thing where I'm just somewhat pessimistic because because it's just not something Brown likes to do. Well, Chris, just before we move on, and I know we were beating this into the ground, but he did have Ben and Joel run deep pick and rolls in the post. That the first game that Al was coming off the bench against the Clippers, he had Ben and Joel running deep pick and rolls, basically off the block, and it was really successful. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see a little bit more of that. Yeah, if I may, just like add one more thing is that. Al Horford's a pretty good pick-and-roll player, and I hope that as long as he's not sharing the floor with Embiid, he gets a chance to really do what he does best and be that pick-and-pop guy or the role man because he did it really successfully in Boston. So there's no reason to think he wouldn't do it successfully here as long as the personnel around him is right. 
All right, so we are going to bring in Uriah for this next section here, and we're going to give you our predictions for the Sixers' eight seeding games in Orlando. We're going to go game by game here with Uriah, um, kindly moderating, and let's get started. Okay, gentlemen, so I'm looking at the schedule right here in front of me, and it looks at the, the Sixers have a nice schedule of games, eight games. We're going to go one game at a time. You guys drop your knowledge on what you guys think each game will end up with in terms of a victory or a defeat. And we'll start off with none other than the Indiana Pacers on August 1st. What do you guys think? Um, you know, Indiana always gives us trouble. We're one and two against them this season. One of our losses was bad. One was kind of close. And then we won a uh, close three-game victory back in November. I think this is a loss considering Ben Simmons, you know, he's going to be kind of coaxed into things. He won't be a hundred percent. Who knows if he'll play. Plus we're mixing up the roster with Shake Milton coming up to starting lineup. Um, so I think that's going to be a loss. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with Ryan for the same points he made. This is going to be Ben's essentially his first game back. The Sixers said they're going to bring him along slowly so that would give me some concern. I still don't know how confident I am in Philadelphia away from home. Um, even if there, there's no away crowd, it still gives me a little bit um, of an uneasy feeling. I assume there are going to be some pretty significant lineup changes going on. So for all those reasons, the Pacers obviously have a lot to play for here. They get the tiebreaker for the number five seed. Uh, not to say the Sixers don't have the same thing to play for, but, but I think this is a loss. Yeah, I'm going to say this is probably a loss, not only because I don't like the matchups of bigs, but I also – we have to consider there's a chance that Victor Oladipo comes back. And he says he's going to come back if he can play at 100%. So if he comes back, then we're expecting full-on Victor Oladipo, plus the emergence of Sabonis this season, Miles Turner, still no scrub. They lost Jeremy Lamb, but they, they still have a quality bench. T.J. Warren, some no, uh, no scrub. It's just it's a solid team all around, and I don't see us winning a first game back, especially, like you guys said, if Ben's not playing like 35 minutes, which I don't think would happen. So, yeah, I'm going to – you know, unless Shake Milton explodes, but we'll, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaning more towards they're going to lose that game. Okay, so we have uh, losses across the board for the Sixers coming back against the Pacers. Let's move on to the next game, August 3rd versus the San Antonio Spurs. We'll go with Ryan first. Uh, I'm going to have to give this one. I think we're going to win this one. Uh, You know, Joel's got a pretty favorable matchup um, down low. The Spurs are only 27-36 and this season. They're in 12th place um, in the West. I, I just think that it's a favorable matchup um, for us. I think we're it's a pretty easy win. No LaMarcus Aldridge for the Spurs. San Antonio's really kind of on the outside looking in in this playoff race um, in the West. Yeah, I think this is a pretty easy win for the Sixers. Guys, you forgot that they added a Tyler Zeller. I mean, gosh, what are we <laughs> going to do against Ty- – no, seriously, no offense to Tyler <laughs> Zeller, but we're, we're probably going to beat them pretty easily yeah. especially without Aldridge so yeah no I uh, I'm gonna say that we probably win that one okay so just like the first game there is a consensus so but this time there wins looks like Popovich is gonna get an L for that win but now we're moving on to the Washington Wizards real quick is John Wall coming back guys I, I didn't I don't think that. so He's okay, not I don't think, think so, so. all right that, that that's a big indicator right there but um, I'll let you guys jump in so, what do you guys think? August 5th, Ryan, is it a win or a loss with the Wiz? You know, I think Bradley Beal's going to give us some problems, but I, I think it's going to be a win. Uh, we have a much stronger team than Washington, even if, you know, Ben's not 100%, even if we're experimenting with lineups and everything else. But I think we're just too talented for the Wizards. Yeah, I think Washington's probably the worst team um, that's going to be traveling to Orlando. Davis Bertans being out is a big loss for them offensively. He's one of the few guys who can really give the Sixers problems with his shooting. And the Wizards are maybe the worst defense in basketball. They don't really have anyone who can credibly defend anyone on the Sixers roster, especially not Embiid and Simmons. 
So I, I too think this is a win. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say this is a win too, and hopefully maybe a uh, recruiting session for Joel and Ben for Bradley. You know, who knows? But uh, yeah, no, this is a win for the Sixers for all reasons you guys have already mentioned. All right, cool. So the Wizards, they they get the loss versus the Sixers, according to you guys, for the third game. The fourth game we have, oh, goodness, the team that we seemingly always struggle against, the Orlando Magic on August 7th. Ryan, what are your thoughts on the Magic? You know, your, your reaction um, kind of says it all. The Magic are always giving us problems kind of indescribably. Um, I'm leaning towards a loss for the Sixers. The Magic are currently the eighth seed, um, half game behind the Nets. Um, they just have a fire under them that the Sixers won't have. Um, and for whatever reason, we just always get outplayed by the Magic. We're 0-2 against them this season. So I'm going with a loss. Yeah, Orlando's one of those teams that matches up pretty well with Philadelphia defensively. And yeah, they're going to be fighting to hold on for that eight seed. The Sixers have basically a, a nice string of softballs here between Indiana and the first game back in the last two games, which we'll get to. But I doubt they're going to win all of those. And, and this seems like the most plausible game for them to lose. So I'm going to agree with you, Ryan. I think this is a loss. Hey, nobody hey. mentioned this Sixers well, well, killer, Evan Fournier. Would you guys... Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point. But let me ask you guys, do we know if Jonathan Isaacs is going to be back for, for Orlando? Because that kind of is a big deal for them. Oh, I forgot about him. I haven't heard anything. Okay, working under the assumption that he's not there, I actually think the Sixers are going to win this game. I don't think the Magic are going to beat them three straight times this season. I don't see it happening, I think. By that point, that's going to be their fourth game. They're going to be in full swing. They're going to probably – this is probably going to be like the height of them playing at their best during these seeding games because I can see Brett Brown kind of taking it easy the last like two or three games. I think this is where they're going to be at their, their top game just purely from, a, you know, getting back into conditioning, getting the chemistry together. I think they, they come away with a win here. So, so Lucas, this is the first break with the everybody's thought been on board with wins and losses. So, at this point, you think that the the Mads are going to win because of you think Jonathan Isaacs is going to be a difference maker. I think because because as far as we know, he's not going to be there. So, and oh, I think okay. yeah, because he's not going to be there, he's not going to. I don't think his defensive versatility isn't going to bother the Sixers as much because let's face it Aaron Gordon's not the defensive uh, presence neither and I don't think Al Farouk Amino is going to be back either so their two best defensive power forwards are going to be gone who okay. they would probably throw at Ben I think it's going to be a lot easier game for Ben in this matchup as as well as the fact that I think the Sixers are going to be at their peak playing so that's in these games five through uh, four through oh, six what happens when Markel drops 30 on like Four or five shooting from deep. You know what? I was just thinking Markel, about that. I was just man. If if Markel drops thirty on us, I will write an article apologizing. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I will take note, listeners. I will write an article if this Orlando Magic beat us and by Markel dropping thirty plus on us. I will write an article apologizing. <laughs> I wonder what DraftKings has in that game, with in terms of the over under with faults going over maybe. 20 a game. I could see him dunking on Embiid just I think he just could because he's been waiting on it for years. I think he could I think he could get 20 but I don't think he's getting 30 and I don't think they're winning cuz they're missing their two best defensive power forwards. Yeah. Uh, under working under that assumption now if they have both or one of them I think maybe the Sixers lose but I think right now based off the information that we have I think the Sixers win. Okay, so uh, seems like these games are spread out nicely every every two days. So the uh, the fifth game of the season is versus uh, Mr. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and the Portland Trailblazers. So what do we think about that game, Ryan? What's your thoughts? Who could forget the the game we played against them earlier in the season when the Furcon hit that game winner? That that game turned me from a Furcon hater to a Furcon kind of indifferent but 
Uh, I think I was going to say lover, but he just I was waiting played for middle of the road. <laughs> That's fair, though. That's fair. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with a win against Portland. You know, that first game was really close, um, but we didn't have Embiid. Horford was the game high 25 with that one. Um, but now, presumably, Embiid will play that game. Um, plus, they don't. Trevor Reza isn't going to play. That recently came out. And even Damian Lillard said he won't play if he thinks the games, if he doesn't have a meaningful chance to make the playoffs. So working under those assumptions, I'm going to go with a win. Yeah, I think the point you make about Damian is an important one, Ryan. Um, if he if he decides to sit it out, if the Blazers get off to a slow start, then that makes this one a much easier prediction. Even with all the trouble Lillard and McCollum have, have given the Sixers in the past, I, I feel like this is probably a Philly win. As you said, Embiid's healthy this time around. I, I don't know what the update is on Yusuf Nurkic. I assume he's not going to play, but that would obviously change things a bit. But, yeah, I, I think in the end this is probably a, a Sixers win. So, from my understanding, Nurkic – is going to play from what I've heard because he was close to coming back before the play stoppage anyway, like literally a week away from coming back. So I expect him. And from what I'm hearing, there's a good chance Zach Collins comes back too. That in mind, I think that this Blazers, even without Ariza, are still going to be, they might slide Melo to the three versus the four, which, you know, Melo's done in the past, even though he'd be defensive liability. I think it's still workable. Um, or they play somebody else, so maybe Nazir Little. Point being is this, is that I still think the Blazers are going to have something to play for because I think Damian, uh, Damian, CJ, and Nurkic are enough to keep them in the race for that uh, ninth spot in the West. And I've already I, I think I've said this before, that I, I think I, I see Portland being the biggest threat to the Grizzlies taking that spot, even without Ariza. I still think that that's a positive for them. I think they still have a good chance. So that being said, I think Dame does play. I'm, I'm working under the assumption based off of what I've heard from different podcasters and, you know, from ESPN is that, you know, Nurkic is going to be there. There's a good chance that Collins is there. And I think the, I think the Sixers are going to lose that game because it was so close without, I think Nurkic is going to give Joel some problems. Ben might have his way, but I, I just, I, it's hard for me to bet against Lillard. I think he's a top three point guard in the NBA, easily, arguably top two. I I think the Sixers lose that one. All right, so we're we're sticking with another Western Conference team. The game after the Blazers comes the Phoenix Suns with the uh, amazing Sixers killer uh, Devin Booker um, and probably a healthy DeAndre Ayton. So on August 11th, we have the Phoenix Suns. What are we thinking? Win, loss? Um, this will definitely be a really good test of the team. You know, um, Aiton's no slouch down low. He could give, they'd be a good kind of test for Embiid, kind of get him back up to speed. Same with M, uh, Simmons out on the perimeter guarding Booker. I'm going to say it's going to be a win. I think it's going to be a close win because – we lost to them um, last year. Like you said, Uriah, Devin Booker always just has our number. Um, but I think this is really where the Sixers are going to focus in and really get in that mindset for the playoffs. And I think we'll um, come out with a win. Probably be a pretty close one. Yeah, so I've agreed with Ryan on, on every game up to this point. And my head says that the Sixers, you know, should probably win this game. I don't know if Phoenix is going to have anything to play for. Um, at this point, they're they're another team that's really on the fringe here. I don't think they're going to compete with Portland or New Orleans or Memphis, maybe not even San Antonio. But at the same time, it feels like the Sixers are probably just going to lose a game that they shouldn't because that's how the Sixers tend to operate. And I haven't really, you know, predicted a loss of that variety yet. <laughs> so with that, with that in mind, I, I just feel like I, I have to – you know, have one of those in there. So that'll be this game. It's the first night of a back-to-back. I'll say the Suns win. I'm actually going to agree with Ryan, and it's not that what you said was wrong, but you both didn't mention the fact that Kelly Oubre is not going to be coming back, and he's arguably their third best player. 
He's he uh, Not about that, yeah. Yeah, he he got majorly injured before the stoppage, and I don't. And there, the report came out he's not going to be there. So, but the the point is, is that I think Kelly Oubre's not not being there is going to be a big loss to them. And by that point, they're probably not going to have anything to play for. So, I'm going to go with Ryan on this one and say that it's a it's. But, but Dario might have something to play for. It could be the Dario revenge game. Oh gosh, that would be so fun to watch. But even if four or five shooting from deep, yeah. But even if that does happen, I mean, even if that does happen, I don't see the Suns winning. I I think their spear will be crushed at that point. Yeah, the Suns (laughs) definitely shouldn't win this game, but it feels like a very Sixers thing to lose this game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. Chris, I. You just had me cracking up because I, I almost forgot Dario was on that team, and I guess he does have something to prove to the team. That, he's a free that agent. Him away. Yeah, 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 maybe he's going to put on a show for us, maybe uh, yeah. be a little tryout to give him a new contract this summer. The return of Dario, would that be interesting that, to see? He would probably start over Al, Al Horford. Oh, yeah, definitely. Possible, yeah. possible. I could see it. Mm-hmm. So let's move on. Uh, uh, Chris made a good point about the the back to back. This is the only back to back game that the Sixers have in this modified schedule. And the game after the Suns game is the oh great the Toronto Raptors, the team that <laughs> knocked us out of the playoffs last year on a quadruple doink bounce by Kawhi Ooh. Leonard. Luckiest shot but, in NBA history. Luckiest shot, but but nevertheless they they play them on August the twelfth. Put it on your calendars. We want to see that one. Ryan, what do you think? Win or loss? Hard loss. Hard loss. <laughs> um, I, I mean, going on, I, Lucas made a point earlier in the podcast about he doesn't think that Ben and or Embiid should play in the back-to-back. Um, so if they both play in the Suns game, one of them probably shouldn't play in this game. And if that happens, we're definitely going to lose. And even if, I mean, Embiid dropped zero points against, against them earlier this season. Clearly a big mental hurdle for them is the Raptors and Marcus All. Um, I just – I think it's just going to be like a very – I think it's going to be like a lopsided loss. Yeah, I think the point you brought up about um, maybe Ben sitting out one of these games is, is a good one. Um, I don't know if they would play him against Phoenix and go for what they might think is a surefire victory or if they, they would save him for Toronto. But either way, second night of a back-to-back – and this is a fairly condensed schedule. It's just – every other night until the final three games, which is three games of four nights. Like that's a lot of games in a pretty short period of time in a, in a foreign environment that no one's really comfortable with. Um, obviously all teams are going to be dealing with this, but you know, they're the Sixers. The Raptors are just a better team. They match up pretty well with Philly. Marcus Stahl has always given Joel trouble. I, I think the Sixers lose this one. So I'm actually going to backtrack and I'm going to, I'm going to, Aside with Chris with the Suns, they're going to lose that because I think the that both Ben and Joel are going to sit that game. I think that's what's going to happen. I didn't. I forgot that the, that was a back to back. So wait a I minute. Both. Wait a minute, Lucas. You're now you're back. You're saying they're going to lose the Suns game? Yeah, because okay. both Ben and Joel aren't going to play. And while I think it'll be a close game against the Suns, if Devin Booker and not Aiden are still playing, I think that they're probably going to lose because with the team of Tobias Harris, uh, Josh Richardson, you know, Al Horford and Shake Milton. I don't see that winning that game. Um, yeah. So what about the Raptors? What, so the Raptors, thoughts? I think that both I'm working under the assumption that both Ben and Joel are playing. I think they're going to, it's hard for me. Cause like, okay, this is how I'm looking at it. If I'm Brett Brown, I don't want to bring my A game during these seeding games against the Raptors because if I bring it all out, all the stops against Nick Nurse now, he's going to be able to prepare for it if we meet in the second round, right? Yep. So I don't know if I want to bring out all my stops there. Also, it's the second night of a back-to-back. But at the same time, if you have arrested Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and the you know that's that's a positive. And the other thing is that. Marcus all went through a body change. He's skinny. Like he's built, but he's really thin now. 
And while I'm sure he can still play good defensive against Joel, I think his uh, heftiness in in seasons past and games past was more of a bothersome to Joel in the post than him being super skinny would be. So if I had to say, I think they're going to lose this game, but I think it's going to be closer than what we think it was. And I think one more important point to bring up here is that there's – a slight chance that the Raptors have already locked up the two seed at this point, or conversely that Boston starts out really strong. Maybe they lock up the two seed. So there's a chance that Toronto is resting their guys at this point. Uh, So, so I think that's another factor to, to consider here, but assuming everyone's playing, I I still think the Sixers are going to lose this one. So, uh, so Raptors, we, we wrapped that one up and now we're moving on to the final game of the regular season. <laughs> the final game of the regular season is the Houston Rockets. Now, give me give me thirty seconds because I'm a little ticked off. I'll tell you why. Probably, I think in August 2019, I bought some tickets to specific games, and uh, the Houston Rockets game was in April, and I was supposed to go to that game. I had a friend coming up from Florida, a buddy of mine, and sure enough, coronavirus said, "Nope, you're not going." And I'm in limbo with my tickets because I'm trying to get my money back from StubHub. Can the Sixers really take down Harden and Westbrook in this game? What do you think? I think so. Um, You know, we lost to them earlier in the season, but Ben Simmons had a 29-point, 13-rebound, 11-assist, triple-double, excuse me. Um, He had his way with the Rockets and their small style, and I think that was before they traded Clint Capella. Now they're – Tallest guy is like six foot seven. Um, PJ Tucker's playing center, and Ben Simmons. I think he's gonna have another great game. Joel Embiid, if he plays, I don't think anybody's gonna be able to stop him down low. Um, I think it's gonna be a win, even though Harden and Westbrook are gonna definitely make us hurt a little bit. Um, I, I think it's gonna be a, a good win. Yeah, I I think this is probably going to be one of the more fun games on the schedule just because both the Sixers and the Rockets have a lot to play for with their seeding. So I think there's a good chance that both these teams are going to be going all out at this point, even though it's the final game. Ben Simmons, is if he is at full health and full speed by, by this point in the season, that's going to be really important just because he's probably one of the better James Harden defenders in the league. Um, not that it always matters, uh, but... You know, he, he's someone who can actually give James some trouble on the perimeter, which, which can't be said for too many guys. Um, and also the Westbrook and Bead beef it has gone on forever, it seems. Uh, they, they always go at it. So so this should be a really fun game. I think the Sixers match up pretty well just because Houston is super small now. As great as P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington are, they're both fantastic defenders, and I, I don't question Houston's ability to play good defense. But with the Sixers specifically – their size is really going to come in handy here. I don't think either of those guys can defend Joel in the post. And even Ben might give them some trouble. So so I think this is a win for the Sixers to, to close things out. Yeah. Um, just to go back, Robert Covington, I believe, is 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, so he's the, I think he's the tallest person that's playing, even though they have Tyson Chandler. He's not going to play. So with that in mind, uh, yeah, no. Like Chris said, the size is too much. I don't care if Houston's going to be running or not. It, it, you know, Sixers are going to pound them and abuse them inside. So I would be interested to see who's going to match up on Westbrook now because I guess you're going to have to play Embiid on him and just make him shoot outside. But that's going to be interesting to make, see if Embiid can stay out of foul trouble. But um, I mean, I, I think still, it would be Josh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, who? Ben on Harden. Okay. Ben on Harden, Josh on, on Westbrook is what I would I – would, well, see, the, the problem is then you have Joel Embiid, you know, having the run out on P.J. Tucker, who's a really good corner three-point shooter. So I'd rather have Joel sit in the paint against Westbrook make, you know, and make Westbrook a jump shooter. Because West, and let's face it, putting them two on each other would be like TV gold. That's a good point. I hope they, they're mic'd up for that matchup. Well, if the NBA listens to me and Rachel Nichols, they they should have the problem. Like, <laughs> just saying. So, Lucas, is that a W for you? For that, that, that is a W. That is a okay. W. But it, but it will be a fun game for sure. I for almost forgot about the Westbrook and Bede rivalry. And 
you guys made some good points and it that'll probably be the the most fun game to watch because of all the different outside stories but it's going to be interesting for sure so let's let's lead into one other question and then lucas uh, during the break he mentioned a specific topic that he wanted to bring up but let's finish out this this uh eight game series and let's go into this quick question the question is how important it is to you guys of the Sixers having a good record going into the playoffs, meaning the momentum that they build with the wins that they accumulate, how important is that for them when they go to the playoffs? Good momentum is like momentum's always great to have. In terms of overall record, I don't think it's too important because we're kind of stuck in the five, six seed area, if I'm not mistaken, um, from what I've seen. Um, but, you know, definitely if we come up with wins in two of the final three games or we string together a couple at the end, I think it would definitely be huge for our confidence going um, into that first round matchup, um, just like it was in 2017-18 when we won, what, 16 straight games um, and we're able to hold off the heat for a game without Embiid playing. I think it's definitely pretty important. Yeah, I, I, I do too. Um, just because the Sixers have had such a weird season and they haven't really been able to establish a rhythm um, at, at any point. It's just been a really clunky ride so far. You know, they've been great at home and then they've been god-awful on the road. So at this point, it's like if they don't show up to Orlando with some pep in their step and as like a revived and a reformed team, I, I really just don't know you know, if they're going to go anywhere. Like, they, they just need to come out, punch someone in the mouth, and, and really get after it. Or, you know, my confidence is probably going to uh, drop off real quick. So, well, I think it's obviously it would be nice for them to have a good record. And standings-wise, it doesn't really matter too much because they're either going to face Boston, Miami, or Indiana, all which are not great matchups for them. Boston being the best of the three, of course. But – um in terms, I would like to see. I'm not so worried about the record, but I would, and not even the team's defense, because we know that the team's defense can be elite. I want to see if they can have good momentum offensively, even if they lose these games. I want to see them have good ball movement. I want them to, you know, that's what I'm looking for. I want them to have good momentum on offense. You know, that, that's probably, you know, we talked about Shake Known coming into the starting five most likely. So I think that's a big part of it. And I would like to see. That's that's more important to me than wins and losses is how they look on offense. Because defensively, we know that they can they can step it up and be great, but offensively, that's where I'm worried. All right, just to recap before we move on to this special topic, it was breaking news for Lucas when he when he joined us. As of this point, before the season starts in a few weeks, we have Ryan. Mr. Optimism, Sixers going five and three in their eight regular season games. Chris and Lucas both have them going 500, four and four in their final eight games. And no one asked me my opinion, but I'll just drop it. I think the Sixers are going to go eight and no. They're going to go undefeated <laughs> going into the playoffs. But that's just me. I'm and you call Ryan Mr. Optimistic. <laughs> I'm the king of optimism over here. But I'm a homer, but... Anyway, so that was fun, guys. I think it'll be interesting. I can't wait. I know you guys can't wait. I just hope that that 16 number of coronaviruses stays at 16 and we can get the season underway, right? Mm-hmm. So, Lucas, tell us, uh, what did you have on your mind? It was something that popped up recently. Well, there were two things that I told you guys when we came back on the air. One is that Cam Newton signed with the Patriots, which – Wow. Okay. That's something, but that's not basketball related. And that's not the thing I wanted to talk about. The thing that I wanted to talk about is that the NBA players association is is working with the league's owners about possibly implementing uh, social issues printed on the jerseys, either where the name is or somewhere else on the jerseys. My question to you guys is if this does come into fruition, which Sixers players do you guys see using this as a platform? I can think of at least three. Um, Depending on what it is, whether it's, um, you know, on the back of the jersey where the name usually goes, or maybe it's um, a symbol on the front of the jersey. Um, 
like where the ads are or something. Uh, I could definitely see several players doing and definitely Tobias Harris. Um, Cause like we've mentioned, he's been very outspoken about the recent social issues. Ben Simmons too. Um, he's usually, he usually opines um, on issues before. I remember he wore March for our lives um, shirt in warmups a couple years ago. He spoke out against police brutality um, just a few weeks ago now. Um, Matisse too. I could see him doing it. He was out there in the protests. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do it as a, as a team effort. That way they show that they're united and show that even though basketball's, basketball's on and some may see it as a distraction from the change that's happening right now, that the focus is still on, you know, achieving justice and equality throughout um, the country and in the broader sense throughout the, in, the entire world. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Ryan. I, I think if this is, you know, something that does get implemented, there's a good chance the whole team does it in unison. Or, or everyone has something of, of some sort on their jersey. Um, as you mentioned, Tobias, Ben, Josh, and even Mike Scott, you know, those guys, and Matisse as well, are probably the most vocal on these issues. But they're definitely not the only guys talking about it. And, and I, I do think this could be, uh, you know, something that the locker room where everyone comes together and, and discusses it and comes up with something that they want to do to show unity. Um, but I also think it's important to note that this while this is a great gesture from the league and I, I would totally support it this obviously can't be the only thing that they do I know the NBA has committed to to fighting for these um, social justice issues harder and putting their money where their mouth is but but this cannot be the only thing that gets done you know this has to be like step a step one um, it, it has to go much further than like labels on jerseys to, to create real change and I do think that's it's important that it does go further than that yeah, and I, you know, you guys mentioned all the players that I was already thinking about, so I'm not going to, you know, my, uh, Tobias, Matisse, and Ben were the three players I thought of. Mike Scott is an, also another good uh, person that I can think of, because I think he was supposed to be in one of the rallies this year. But, yeah, that's just kind of something that I wanted to bring up really last minute, but I think we kind of touched on all the great subjects that we had tonight. So I think it's time for uh, Chris, you mind playing us out? Yeah, um, I just want to thank Ryan again for coming on. You've been a really great guest. And I want everyone to go out and follow Ryan. You can find him on Twitter at RJCallahan16. You can read all his stuff on the site. He's a really talented writer. He's also the managing editor at the Emory Wheel, the student publication at Emory University down here in Atlanta, uh, which is right where I live. He's written some great sports columns there, so I suggest you find him on Twitter. You go read all his stuff. He, he's a really talented writer. And just thank you again, Ryan, for, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you that. so much. Uh, comp- all those compliments. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Glad to have you. We hope to have you again sometime soon. Absolutely. For sure. And, and to all our listeners, thanks again for tuning in this week, wherever you're coming from. Again, I know these are very difficult times. Everyone's stress levels um, tend to be up, uh, but we really appreciate you giving us an hour of your day to just listen to some Sixers talk. Um, You know, I think we all need it. So we really appreciate it, and we'll be back next week. Thanks again, everyone. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.